right, okay, I've got a couple of job offers for people that I know. If I went to work for those people right now as a sales guy, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pick my phone up and I'm going to ring everybody in my contact list and say, this is now what I am doing. Can you help me? And then I'm hopefully going to make some money for my new employer and he's going to be happy and I'm going to pass my probation, I'll have a job. And then I thought to myself, what if I just picked the phone up and said, I've gone self-employed with my own leather business. You know the leather thing I was doing. I've gone self-employed doing that. Anyone you know who'd be interested in helping me? If I can do it for somebody else, there's no reason why I can't do it for myself. And if I can't do it for myself right now, I'm never going to do it. Prime time. Are you searching for your ideal career, fed up of your daily grind, or simply want to hear some inspiring stories? Then you've come to the right place, because it's time to do a job you love. It's time to get work savvy. Welcome to another episode of the Get Work Savvy podcast, the show that aims to provide you with tips, tricks and ideas to help you find or create a way to get paid for what it is that you're passionate doing. And this week we bring you the incredible story of Stuart, and how he's made a successful business from a hobby that he picked up. Now, Stuart has got some wonderful examples of where he's been able to have some extraordinary experiences, which has then later on helped him launch his business, all through the mindset of being a good person, having conversations with people, and taking opportunities when they arise. Now, the audio is a little bit dodgy in places, so I can only apologise about that. But I love Stuart's story, and I think that you're going to take so much away from listening to this episode. So without any further delay, let's hear from Stuart and how he got work savvy. Hi, Stuart, and how are you doing today? Fantastic, thank you very much. Excellent, excellent. Really, really good. I know it is, um, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you finally. I have been seen some of your fabulous work, but for the listener... Could you just explain briefly as to what it is that you do? Yeah, of course. Um, so as you said, my name is Stuart. My, my business is Coupon Leather. We, or I, handcraft bespoke leather goods. So I use a very high quality uh, type of leather and we effectively turn it into a product of that customer's choosing. So it starts as totally fresh, undyed, untouched vegetable leather. And then I cut it, dye it stitch it and, and, and turn it into something that could be a belt a wallet a watch strap uh, whatever the client wants absolutely fantastic and uh, a great summary there and for those people who haven't really kind of grasped that and want to see a visual then certainly go check out the show notes where there'll be a link to Stuart's uh, social medias where he does a fine job of actually giving you a better look at, at what those kind of products are but what I'd like to ask my guest Stuart is is that what you imagined doing when you was at school? And what did you want to do when you <laughs> first thought about a career? Um, if I'm totally honest, Paul, the very first thing I wanted to do was be a policeman. So it's completely the opposite. <laughs> Definitely not what I'm, uh, what I'm doing now. The closest I got was a fireman. Um, I was a fireman for, for a number of years. But yeah, definitely definitely not not doing leather items. It's a, we we kind of spoke before, but effectively, um, what what happened with Coupon Leather was it was a numerous or, or um, a selection of opportunities which came together and kind of, kind of grasped them as the as they came around. You had that aspiration of being a police officer then, which obviously didn't turn out quite yeah the same. But I wonder, talk us through your journey. Where where did you go? Did you actually go down the route of trying to become a police officer, or did you? 
did you kind of do something else before starting your liver business? I'll, tell you, I'll give the, the long story short, but I went to college um, and I'd done uniform services at Stockton Riverside College around the corner uh, with the idea of getting some sort of experience under my belt to strengthen the application for the police. However, I left that. I worked for my mum and my dad. My mum owned a, a, a cafe. My dad owns his own business, so I was working for them too. But alongside what my dad was doing, he was part of a network organisation where he would meet with a, a selection of, of other business owners and they would help each other out, find business, that sort of stuff. And one of the other business owners stood up and said, oh, I'm after an apprentice. So dad and me came home and he went, right, Stu, you're going to sort yourself out, you're going to apply for this job and you're going to go work for a computer shop. I said, am I? He said, yep. Yeah. Like, right, okay. So he had me put together a little CV and I went, I went along and I'd done my, my, my interview and I got the job. So I started on the 14th, Monday the 14th of December, just before Christmas. And that Friday coming up, he put me, or the boss put me straight into a networking group. 18 years old, I ummed and ahed my entire way through it, hands were shaking, my dad was next to me, I had three of my bosses in the room. <laughs> I was sweating buckets, didn't know what to do. So I sort of read the sheet that was in front of me and sat down and kept my mouth shut. But that was my very first time of uh, going to any sort of networking event. From that, I was probably attending a networking event of some sort every week for the next 10 years. I would say that's greatly, greatly part of my success and, and, and how I've grown up and, and been able to manage and do what I've done. Was, and it's, it's very much just meeting people, getting to know them, you know, being the nice guy in the room and, and creating contacts and friends from people who can help you. You know, that whole surround yourself by five mm. people who you want to be like and you become the average you know it, it, it's very much along those lines and um, there's a lot of businesses in, in, in especially in Teesside where I am who know of me and know what I do and who are all about helping me as well as being helped by me and that that very first step of my dad pushing me into an interview to say go do this was was kind of what started the journey uh, I've done a lot of jobs in the past 10 years a lot of different businesses I've worked for but every single time, it's always been about the network and building my network and building my contacts. You know, so if anybody is want to go self-employed and say the first thing you want to do is just start knowing people, talking to people, getting out there, going outside your comfort zone and just going to these networking events. Nobody likes doing them, especially at first. But the I think I think that's a brilliant kind of intro to, to where you got to and some sound advice there. The, the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and and kind of yeah. great advice as well about being a nice person. I think that's a, that's a, that's a secret there that perhaps not everybody's aware of. Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I've, you know, don't get me wrong. I've worked in sales, you know, we've all done the dodgy tactics to try and get a sale because your boss is going to be telling you off if you don't get it and all that. <laughs> the only thing that achieves is you go home for it and yourself, to be fair. You know, you go back and you're finishing, you're like, I just don't feel good about what I've done today. Where now, I kind of, when I, when I left the previous role and I went on to the, the next one, I, I was the sales manager. So I sort of started that role and I was like, you know what, this is going to be an honest thing. You know, if we can help people, I will. If we can't help people, walk away. And it's, it's kind of a, like a life lesson which was stumbled upon, but I've definitely definitely kept on because you just feel better when you when somebody's dealt with you and walk away with a good taste rather than that potential bad taste yeah so being the nice guy in the room is is extremely important because everybody wants to know and help the nice person nobody wants to know and help the knob mm. you know <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. So you moved into kind of more of a sales world and you you started practicing. Yeah. So I moved into business to business networking, which was our business to business sales at 18 years old. And, you know, over the over the next couple of years, that role stayed the same, but I just changed business. So no matter what you're selling, one knows you know, sales are sales. And if you can sell, you can sell anything and that whole nutshell thing. So it was it was just that opportunity to get out there and speak to people. So a little bit down the line, probably talk about four or five years, a friend said to me that he was a, he was a retained firefighter. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he basically said, it's, it's, it's an old fireman. You've got all the rules, all the regulations, all the powers, all the firemen, but you don't do your full-time job. You do it as a part-time career. I was like, right. So he said, on your afternoons, your weekends, you're a fireman. During the day, you're not. And I was like, okay. I said, what's the rules? I said, oh, you just need to live near a fire station, like within a certain time limit. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Anyway. So looking for a first place to, to live where I'm still now, I wanted two things. I was a bit of a gym, gym rat. So I wanted a garage that could turn into a gym and I wanted it near a fire station. So I found the perfect house, moved in, turned the garage into a gym and applied for the fire station. I applied for the fire service, sorry. And I got an email back saying, can you do a maths exam? So I've done that. And I said, can you do an English exam? So I've done that. I said, can you do a maths and English exam? I was like, right, okay. So I've done that. And I said, can you come for a fitness test? I was like, okay. And then it was, can you go and pick up your uniform? I was like, oh, okay. And that was right. He should he should dates for starting the train. And I was like, right, okay then. Um, awesome. <laughs> and I just got and that was it. I was fine from that point, you know. Um, spent six months training, and then all of a sudden I was on station uh, attending fire, uh, fires at three o'clock in the morning, not getting any sleep. <laughs> uh, and I'd done that for three years. Incredible. Yeah. I suppose that fulfilled some of your um your kind of aspirations of, of doing some kind of service and with the police. So yeah. So kind of not too too distant to what you wanted to do growing up. Yeah, you know what? And to be fair, you know, <laughs> this is one of those ones. Do you say it or not? Not everybody likes the police. Not many people dislike the fire service. Yeah. Um, True. You know, so <laughs> I've I've been at fires where you see a group of people and you think you're going to be in trouble and they come over and shake your hand because you're a fireman. But you know, if you weren't a fireman and you're a policeman, then you probably would have got shouted at. <laughs> that has happened on, on more than one occasion, you know. Um, I've even walked into a pub and people thought I was a stripper. That, that, that's happened in the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a smell of petrol. So we got called out to a pub. We walked in and everyone thought someone had called the stripper gram. And, oh, hey. Yeah. Me and my mate walked in and everyone decided cheering. I'm like, what's going on? And then everyone started saying, take it off. Take it off. Uh, no, sorry. We're, we're on duty. We're, we're deal with on official duty. I know yeah. that, that could be a line, but. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, taking it from there, I ended up getting the sales management role. So I left the fire service. In effect, you were doing a lot of hours. It took over all your free time. And when you're trying to progress, sometimes some things need to take a back step or you need to leave certain areas to move on to something else. And I decided to leave the fire service so I could give it all to the sales role that I was taking on as sort of like the sales manager. So I left mm. that and I went, I've got a lot of free time. But one of the things that I'd done sort of four months earlier was I went holiday to Turkey and I bought a handmade watch strap from a gentleman over there. And I said to missing, I could do this. And she's like, well, if you think you can do it, give it a go. So I came home and I spent about a month on YouTube and 
and forums or, or whatever I can find on how to make a leather wallet, how to make a leather watch strap, um, you know, watching videos of people making it, taking notes of what tools they were using. I collated a list of what I thought were the best beginner tools you could find for as cheap as possible off eBay. And I think I bought the list, cost me about 400 awesome. quid, I'd say, and I made possibly the worst wallet you've ever seen in your life. And then I made another wallet, which was probably the second worst wallet you would have ever seen. <laughs> I thought, I'm really bad at this. So I gave up and I quit. And then when I left the fire service and I had all this free time, I thought, oh, I'll give that, that, that leather thing a go again. So I've done a bit more research and I found out about this vegetable tan leather, this really high quality leather, better to work with, last longer, higher quality, all the rest. So I bought some um, machine cutoffs off eBay uh, of veg tan, cost me about 40 quid for about 20 centimeters long and about 10 centimeters wide and i was like right okay we'll see what we can make and i tried a wallet and it functioned as a wallet which was fantastic that was that was a hell of a progress for me at the time it actually fit a card in it and you could afford <laughs> print your pocket and it wouldn't fall out the other ones didn't fit cards in in fact when you fold the first one in half it was smaller <laughs> than a bank card don't know how it got there um <laughs> yeah, so that happened. Uh, but I made this wallet and it worked and it was it was something. So I was like, right. So then I made, um, I had a little BB gun. So I made a gun holster for my BB gun. I was like, oh, okay, that works as well. And then I had a little um, pocket knife thing. So I'll try a, a, a knife sheath for that. And that worked as well. And I was like, right, okay. But they're all plain leather. When you look, if you ever search for natural veg tan leather, it's like a white peachy color. And they're all that colour, so I thought, right, I'll buy some leather dye. Mm. So I looked into leather dye and what you should buy, what you shouldn't buy, and I bought some of that and dyed it, and it was an absolute, made a pig's ear of it, let's put it that way. It wasn't great, but it worked. So then I decided what I'll do is I'll dye it first, and I'll make stuff. So I tried that, and then I made a few Christmas presents because Christmas was coming up, and, and, and I've done a few bits and mobs and book, uh, bookmarks and whatever else. And then I made a few birthday presents in January. And that kind of worked. And then so he said to me, you know what, Stu, you could probably sell these. And just moving into the marketing company, they said to me, well, the first thing he said to me is one of the best things a company can have is credibility. And I said, you know, for example, Facebook page, if a Facebook page is two weeks mm. old, then there's not much credibility there. But Facebook page is a year old and it has lots of followers, lots of posts, and you can scroll down and see recent activity, then there's more credibility there. So I thought, if I'm going to do this leather thing and people are liking it, if I make mm. a Facebook page and Instagram page and all that, and at least there's some content there, then it looks more credible than not. So I made a Facebook page. However, at this point, I've been business networking for about eight years. So all my contacts seen that I was making leather stuff. So they all liked it and shared it. And one of the last comments that they used to, could you make me an Apple Watch strap? And I was like, yeah, I could do that, no problem. So I made an Apple Watch strap, cost me about 45 quid to make it. I sold it for 35, as you do and it went out and he loved it and i was like oh great there was some, i didn't care that i lost a 10 on it i was more happy the fact that somebody was willing to purchase something i made yeah and that went out on social media and then someone said could you do a wallet and someone said could you do this and you know a few more things went through and the next month you know we saw one thing in february we saw six things in in march and, and you know april was a few more and it sort of went forwards or forwards i think in june we saw about 35 items which was crazy but it was all the matrix you know, so great, we sold 35 items, great, we turned over about, it's not two grand, something like that. But we'd only made about 300 quid profit. You know, it was, anyone could give anything away. 
Yeah. So after June, it was like, right, okay, no more mates rates. Or there's a, a, you know, if it's for friend or family, this is the percentage. And, you know, started knuckling it down a little bit, thinking about it. Then um, there's a quite prestigious golf club near us called Rockcliffe Hall. They came on as a reseller. Okay. And they're still our reseller to today. And they, I knew one of the guys who, who ran the shop. And he said, shoot, can we put some products in the shop? I was like, of course you can. You know, it was the first, first opportunity like that. Yeah, basically. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so we collaborated on the golf scorecard holder and we made a few bits. We got them a stamp and, and that sort of started moving forwards, which was absolutely fantastic. And then just things sort of progressed and moved on and got better. And then January this year, the company I worked for went to liquidation. So on the 21st of January, Coupon Leather had turned over £600. And I was looking at going, right, okay, I've got a couple of job offers from people that I know. If I went to work for those people right now mm. as a sales guy, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pick my phone up and I'm going to ring everybody in my contact list and say, this is now what I am doing. Can you help me? And then I'm hopefully going to make some money for my new employer mm. and he's going to be happy and I'm going to pass my probation I'll have a job. And then I thought to myself, what if I just picked the phone up and said, I've gone self-employed with my own leather business. You know the leather thing I was doing? I've gone self-employed doing that. Anyone you know who'd be interested in helping me? And I said it was right. It's the 21st of January. The 31st of January is the end of the month. I've got 10 days. What can I achieve? And in those 10 days, we turned over 1,600 quid. Bloody hell. <laughs> Just by ringing people in your phone and going, can you help me? This is what I want to do. Now, I'll admit, and you know, I'll put my hand up straight away and go, some of that was pity sales. Mm. You know, Stu's got nice book covers, I'll have some of them, type of thing, mm-hmm. you know. But pity sales or not, we still done it. And we finished the month on 800 yep. quid, the very first month we were self-employed. The next month, we've done 2,200 quid in February. And I went, we're growing. You know, and, and, and for me, I said, I missed it. I came in. She, she, she was more nervous than I was because, you know, I was, I was the one earning more money in the, in the house. So she was like, we've just lost a huge chunk of our income. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just said, exactly what I said. You know, I said, look, if, if, if I can do it for somebody else, there's no reason why I can't do it for myself. And if I can't do it for myself right now, I'm never going to do it. Prime time, let, let's prove this. So I said, I said look, my promise to you is every day when you come home from work, I'm going to tell you a good news story that's happened that day um, so you feel more comfortable. That was, that was the, the goal. So no matter what happened that day, I had to find a good news story that was new and say, this has happened today, we're going to be okay. And I achieved that every day for, I think we've done it, for, I stopped after about four months. But every day she'd come in or she'd be upstairs obviously with the lockdown and say, this has happened today, this is what's going to be really, really good. Awesome. Now, six weeks after going self-employed, lockdown happened. Mm. And in the first month of March, we'd done quite well in the first week, but after that first week, we didn't see an order for three and a half weeks. Which makes you question it, I suppose. Which was the scariest. Yeah. Yeah, which was the scariest bit. You know, we, I knew I had money in the bank. Um, there wasn't a lot, but there was money there. Um, I'd applied for a new startup loan at the beginning of February, and it came through at the end of February. So I was very fortunate that there was a, a little bit of a cushion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, at the beginning of at, at March, we'd, we'd done maybe 800 quid all week. So... April turned around and I went, what am I going to do? So I'd done a 15% off offer. Um, or was it 10% off? I can't remember now. 
And then that one's been done about two grand in April. Awesome. Or it might be 700 quid, something along those lines. And I was like, right, okay, okay, this is this is kind of heading back in the right direction. And then every month from then, we've, we've grown. You know, I think the best month we've had is about 5,200 quid during the, during the lockdown. So it's just been that very steady growth. And I know, obviously, we had a chat earlier. Um, one of the things that's really helped us and one of the things that we have come across a lot is people asking me about the products themselves and have I made them. Yeah. And that, that originates from a lot of companies purchasing products from abroad, changing them and, and adapting them in the UK so they're classed as made in the UK and then sell them as a handcrafted, a handcrafted product in this country. Mm. Um, I know a gentleman who does tables and he gets his tables made in Turkey, he gets his legs made in India, he brings them over to the UK, he assembles them and they're made in the UK. You know, so a lot of people are tying me with the same brush or asking about it. And I was going, you know, it seems daft, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It does. But, you know, because mm. these companies never tell you to do that. They just say, this is what we yeah. are in the market says we make this product. So I, um, I, I, I said to the missus and I said to her, my brother-in-law, who, who's a videographer, uh, girlfriend's a photographer, brother-in-law is a videographer. I said, what do we do? And the missus said, what about TikTok? <laughs> and I said, isn't that for like 12-year-olds um, doing daft little dance videos? <laughs> and she said, it's for visual people. So I said, you've got a visual product and if you could do little videos just showing you making stuff. I said, you know, it might help out. And I went, okay. So I, uh, I downloaded TikTok and uh, she sort of had it on her phone and she would hold the camera and I'd make some stuff. And I think, uh, it'd probably take too long to find the other thing, but I think that one of the videos had 89,000 views on it. Bloody hell. Uh, one of the very first videos that we've done. And I actually done it. That, that, so I download, because on TikTok, I don't know how much you know, you can actually save the, the, the videos to your phone, mm. right? Yeah, I'm sorry to look at you. 91,200 views and <laughs> 9,837 likes on this video. That was the fourth video I ever put on TikTok. Now, none of the other ones, have, you know, some of my 10,000 views and stuff, but not, none of them have had that sort of, that sort of thing. Mm. But what I was doing was I was saying my phone and I was posting them on LinkedIn and I was posting them on Facebook. And in the first month of doing TikTok, um, between TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook, I had over 110,000 views in total on the videos in one month <laughs> and i went oh this is pretty smart this this is a great idea um so i went on amazon and i, and I bought a 20 pound um phone holder tripod type thing yep and i started doing my own tiktok videos and one of the annoying things was was i was having to press stop and start so i was pressing start quite a bit of pressing stop and going somewhere else and, and, and pressing start doing a bit and pressing stop now, what if I could just do it as a continuous video, but in a minute? And I went, I wonder if I can do a time-lapse video on this TikTok, and you couldn't. But on a little bit of Googling, I found out that on the Samsung phone that I have, and you can do it on Apple as well, there is a feature to do time-lapse videos. Samsung call it hyperlapse. And I was like, right, okay. And you can upload a video to TikTok. So I was like, right, I'll, I'll record it on my phone, and then I'll upload it. But I started to link these to, to, to LinkedIn. I've now got over, well, just shy of 110 videos in, ta- in time lapse um, of the products I've made. In fact, one of the funny statistics was during the entire time before I went self-employed, I made 74 projects by hand. 
since then I've made 200 mm. since January. Wow. So I've done double the amount I'd ever made in about a year and a half in six or seven months. Incredible turnaround. Um, which was insane. I think in total, we're, we're just over 300 products um, out there in the world right now. And that's, you know, I've got stuff in Perth. I've got stuff in uh, Philadelphia. Um, I was speaking to a lady in Iowa. You know, they're all over the world. Well, I sell all over the world. There's probably about 10 products in other countries, everything else in this country. But then, you know, I've got them from down south to, to up north, you know, from sort of mm. all London up to um, Aberdeen in, in Scotland. Um, so we've got products all over the country. And it's from LinkedIn, it's from these videos. And it all came about from somebody saying, do you make these products yourself? And me wanting to show everybody that they can, or the art made here properly. And that goes from cutting to dyeing to stitching to finishing. Um, everything is done, done in here. I suppose because you listen to your audience and you answered their question, that helped you to, to improve that reach and to, to allow you to, to kind of reach those far fields and, and uh, grow your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's about taking those chances. Mm. Uh, one of the things that we posted about was about taking opportunities and you know you never know what an opportunity is going to lead to i'll give you an example i was a martial arts instructor so i taught kickboxing i've done that for numerous years um just out of fitness and interest type of point of view and i went to one of these networking dudes that i was at and there was a sky one film guy whatever you call them yep a producer and he was there for a TV show um, called The Big Town Dance for diversity, mm-hmm. you know, the dance crew. And he was saying that they're after a martial arts instructor to go on the dance show and, and basically get taught how to dance by diversity for a, for a big dance. <laughs> um, okay. A friend of mine, uh, a guy called John, turned around and went, Hey, Stu, you're a martial <laughs> arts instructor. You can do it. Thanks. And he looked at me and I went, Oh, um, Go on then, why not? You know, because my whole thing is if you get a good opportunity and you can do it, mm-hmm. it's not illegal or anything like that, you know, you physically mm. can do something, just give it a go. So I went, yeah, why not? Give it a ring. So I forgot all about this. I thought he was going to forget about it too. And then about eight o'clock at night, hey, Stu, it's blah, blah. Do you want to come down for an audition? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So I went down for this audition and actually, mind you, when the team were there, and I got to kick actually Banjo <laughs> in the head twice, um, just to prove I can do it. Um, I didn't hit him, obviously. I stopped beforehand. But, yeah. you know, I could get up there. He's a tall boy. I couldn't do it now. I could kick him in the shin now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I did it. And, you know, we, we spent three months with the guys. They're the fantastic people. You know, it's one of these never meet your celebrities because they might be knobs. No, they're not. They're really, really genuinely nice. Like, in fact, my 21st birthday was during the showing, like the, the recording. Oh, so I couldn't go out and get drunk. So the lads afterwards took me to the casino and took me out for a drink and a meal and a, you know, really, really, really sound blokes. Awesome. Um, but one of the things that happened on that show was I met a gentleman who uh, called Ryan who owns an, um, an energy company. So I spoke to Ryan, good friends. You know, we hadn't spoken in a couple of years and then all of a sudden I got self-employed with leather business and Ryan rings me up and says, Stu, can you do us a bunch of products for, um, with our branding on? for our clients as gifts. So from me saying yes to being a martial arts instructor, to me saying yes, I'll go on a TV show, to me meeting this bloke, to five years later, maybe even longer actually thinking about it, seven years later, getting a getting a sales opportunity from a lad that I met on the show. 
Incredible. You say yes, but you never know what's going to come from it. Yeah, taking those opportunities and uh, and being the good person, and you know, you never know where that's going to lead. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout your journey, then, what would you say your biggest challenge has been with, like, kind of finding your way into the lever crafts? Was it making those first sales? Was it kind of breaking that fear of oh, my first couple of products were rubbish? Or what? What would you say your biggest challenge would be? There's been multiple challenges. Um, the one that always sticks out in my head, and it's probably not the answer you're expecting, was packaging. Right. Um, okay. because buying packaging it was an absolute nightmare but you know it's just one of those things people want you to buy 2,000 boxes where I sell 10 bullets all different sizes so I'm going to have to buy 20,000 boxes I don't have anywhere to put them so that was an absolute yeah. nightmare I just meant <laughs> oh you know what I'm going to do it's a traditional craft it's a traditional product I'm just going to use traditional packaging with a paper bag some tissue paper and a seam bag and it looks really smart and nice uh, but it took me 8 months to figure that out hmm but to be fair, yeah, there's one of the biggest challenges I've faced recently is my business is always set up as direct sales. Mm. So, you know, somebody coming to me, buying a product, that's where the, that's where the margins have been set. That's how, you know, everything's been, been calculated to be done. However, a lot of resellers and people are wanting me to manufacture their products for them. Mm. So they come to me and say, Stu, can, can, can we get you to make our products, not your branding, our branding, and getting in, I'm going, yeah, not a problem. They're going, what's the minimum order quantities? I'm going, oh, well, whatever you want. If you want one, I'll just make you one. I'll make it from scratch. I'll be happy for the business. Mm. And then realizing, well, they don't want to pay 200 quid for a wallet. They want to pay 50 quid for a wallet. Yeah. And I'm saying I'll do them as a one-off. But I was I was potentially going to be stuck making products for other people at very, very little profit. Mm. I think when I calculated it to sort of one of the early agreements, we were making less than five or an hour. Yeah. <laughs> which obviously isn't justifiable, especially when they're going, oh, we might want a hundred of these. And you're going, right, if I'm going to do that, as well as my other sales, as well as my direct sales, as well as my resellers, I can't do it all on my own. I'll have to hire somebody. Mm. But for me to hire somebody, I need to get a venue. But for me to get a venue, I can't make a fire and out because I'm going to pay the person making me more than that anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're facing this problem of going, how do you do this? And it was that hardest choice of going, right, I'm going to have to change the prices. Mm. You know, this is no longer a hobby. This is an actual business, and you're going to have to start treating it like one. I, I suppose it's it's just changing that mindset, isn't it, from kind of hobby to, to actually you've got to have the business head on and, and make sure you're, you're quoting the right and 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 all the impacts of, of what the knock-on effects would be. Yeah. Yeah, and it goes back to what we said earlier. Um, and this is this is a heavy, a heavy lesson is your network. Mm. You know, by the fact that I've done so much networking and know so many people through it, I have that luxury of ringing up somebody who's been in business for twenty years and going, "I've got this obstacle. What do you suggest I do to overcome it?" Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, a good friend of mine owns a law firm up in uh, up in Newcastle. And the amount of times I've been able to ring them and go, this company wants me to manufacture, for example, they want me to manufacture an oven glove, one-handed oven glove. Right. Now, technically speaking, I get the leather to do it, but I went, where do I stand? There's so many burns themselves with this. Mm. Yeah. You know? And you're, well, you need to get all these accreditations, you need to get these checks done, and you need to, you know, probably need to send your product off for testing. And I went, right, okay. So I had to go back to this customer and say, I can't do that. However, if I haven't have had that person to ask, and I've gone, hey, I can make a bit of money by making leather oven this. Mm. You know, 
I could have left myself completely open. Absolutely. So having good contacts and people you trust, you know, it's probably the most valuable. If someone said to me, I want to go self-employed, what do you suggest I do? The first thing I tell them to do is, is, is speak to your mom, speak to your dad, speak to your brother, speak to your friends, see who they know who are in business and have a chat with them. Explain what you want to do, how you want to do it. Mm. And, 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 and just start growing your network. Ask for introductions. You know, for example, if you want to start an energy company, you know, there are loads of them about, and chances are you'll know somebody who owns one, and they'll be able to give you advice. Everyone likes talking about themselves and how they've done well and, and what they've learned from and all the rest of it. People are happy to help people mm. um, if you're willing to ask for it. You know? And I suppose it's, it's overcoming that fear and, and treating people like people. Yeah. You know, I, I've always... Like, there's one of the books that I read, one of the many books, um, but there's the, the three main qualities that a business person or a business owner needs, and it's sales, marketing, and accountancy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you need to be a salesperson, you need to know how to market your business, you need to know how to look after your money. Absolutely. Luckily, I was a sales manager for a marketing company, um, and my stepdad's an accountant. <laughs> so I had the, the ability there to go, right, stepdad aid, what do I do? What do I need to consider? Do I go limited company? Am I sole trader? Do I open a business bank account? How do I track my money? You know, all these sort of things, which I have no idea about. At the end of the day, I used to sell products. And one of the biggest things I had to overcome was if I was in sales and I came up to you and I said, right, Liam, I, uh, you want to you wanna support a contract, you want a new computer, you want this, that, or the other, right? But here you go. This is the cost. You go, yes, you, let's go with it. Fantastic. What I'd do then is I'd hand the order off to an engineer who would do all the work. Mm. Now, if I say, hey, Liam, do you want a wallet? And you go, yeah, go for it. I have to sit down for six hours and make you a wallet. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's not just as simple as handing off and get on with the next sale. It's, you know, I actually have to speak to you do the actual sales consultation and then have to make the product. I have to package it myself. I have to take it to the post office and then I have to track the sale. You know, I need to make sure everything's right and quality control and all the rest of it, all the things that, you know, other organizations have a person for. When people say, you know, own a business, you have to wear all the hats. They're not kidding. Mm. You know, um, I, I realized it sort of end of February that, hang on a minute, this isn't as, you know, I'm a sales guy. I'm a really good sales guy. And, I'm, and that, that was my bread and butter um but there's a lot more to it absolutely you know i think i think that's some sound advice i think uh, a common misconception is that perhaps you know it'll be easy you're just doing just that one thing but you have to be as you say wearing all the hats and yeah so thinking back over your time and, and having started started your business and going down the route fantastic you got the advice and everything but would you do anything different no and there's a reason to it you know i asked one of these little mean gift things the other day which can said the same thing is every time that you make a mistake as long as you learn from it it's worth making you know don't get me wrong i made mistakes you know i've done it where you know i went from hand stitching to stitching with a sewing machine which was a very expensive investment for the business where it it it, it freed up so much time for me to make more products and in turn more profit which was great however i haven't used a sewing machine in years in fact i think last time i used a sewing machine was in design technology at school mm. you know um, you know, I think that was probably in year eight or something like that. Uh, I made a pair of slippers which were terrible. Um, <laughs> didn't fit. But yeah. anyway, um, the point being is, I was I was making a wallet, and on the very last stitch, I went wonky, and it ruined the wallet. 
but I learned from it. You know, I knew that I had to do certain things to fix it the next time. And every time that you make a decision in business, you know, I, I even emailed the lady this morning who wants to be a manufacturer. Um, I spoke to her months ago when my, that side of business wasn't right. I offered her a, a, a very low cost for making products and I've almost doubled them now. And she's gone, why? And I said, because the prices weren't right. But if I hadn't made that mistake at that point and fixed it when I did, mm. then I'm only going to make it further down the line. So I'm, I'm really happy with the mistakes I made because as long as you learn from it and you actually evaluate and go, right, okay, why have I done that and how can I make it better? You, know, you can't, you can't grow, you can't move forwards. It's the same as the opportunities. You know, you have to take every opportunity to see if it works for you. But you know, as long as you, if you make a mistake, as long as you learn from it, it it's fine. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've dropped some absolute huge knowledge bombs on us there and, and some real things to consider. Um, so thank you so much, uh, Stuart. It's been a pleasure to to listen to your story and to, and to pick up some wisdom from yourself. Um, I've got a couple of questions um, just to squeeze in before the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, what would you say your proudest moment has been? Was it perhaps making that first sale or has it been something else? It's been something else and I'm going to go all soppy now. So Coop and Leather is obviously named after me, Coopers, Stuart Coopers, my surname. Mm. When I was designing the brand, I went through Coop Leather and Sea Leather and, you know, Scoop Leather and all sorts of random weird combinations with fancy writing and all the rest of it. And for anyone who's seen the what we call now the Maker's Mark, the branding of the business, the crest, it's, it's a family arms, it's a set of family arms. Uh, like a like a family crest, mm. and that family crest has been on the wall of my granddad's house for about four years. And I was having a cup of coffee with him, or a cup of tea at the time it was actually. And this was obviously about two and a half years ago. And as I was leaving the house, trying to think of this brand, I seen the crest, and I went, "Granddad, would you allow me to to take that, adapt it, so it can be more of a logo because it's a bit big, and use it as a logo?" And he said, "Yeah, be you know, be proud to." So. It's not the same as a big fish in the original one, which I didn't want, <laughs> for obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, but my granddad actually designed the crest. So it's not like an official one that you find on the internet. He, he worked with somebody and designed this for, for our family. Oh, right. Okay. So, and he basically gave me it. So I've now been using this. Now I went to see my granddad only a couple of weeks ago, sort of social distance stood across the other side of the garden type job. <laughs> and you know he lives in his own now uh, we try and see him as much as we can but i was able to look him in the eye and say you know what we have 300 products out there every single one has our family crest on it so there are people walking around in america in australia um you know up and down the country with our family crest in their pocket that's amazing and that i would say the look on his face that was probably the proudest moment of the business. And he said to me, Stu, can I, can I get a belt off you? Um, I said, I'll pay for it. And I said, well, you're not going to pay for it. So I will. I said, I'll, I tell you now, I'll send it first class to your house and I won't even take the money mm. off you. But, you know, he wanted a belt off me. And it's just one of those things, you know, my granddad's not one of those ones where he'll just ask for stuff. But the fact that he asked me for one of the products and the fact that he was so proud of the fact that you know, our family crest is out there and it's being used and it's 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 a mark of quality yeah. now. You know, I and that was a realisation. Somebody asked me for an Apple watch strap. And when I make my watch straps, the crest, when I stitch it, it kind of it stitches down the side mm-hmm. of the crest on the back, uh, kind of goes through it. So I went, I won't put the crest on because it gets stitched through. 
and I gave it to the woman. She went, oh, it hasn't got a crest on it. And I said, oh, no, it's, this is why. And she said, could you put the crest on Awesome. And it wasn't until that point that I realised that it was a brand and it was... It, and how important it yeah, was. Yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's now a sign of quality. It's a sign to say, this is handmade. This is a high quality product. And it's also my family name. You know, it's every wallet. If you ever look on the website and go for the wallets, every wallet's named after a person. And every person's a member of my family. So you've got the John wallet after my dad, the Pete wallet after my uncle. You've got the Rob wallet after my granddad. You've got the Dave wallet after my father-in-law. You know, the Drew wallet, the Dan wallet, the Warm wallet, the... AJ, Adrian Johnston, the, the accountant I was talking about, you know, they're all there. So the wallets, which were my main first item, are all named after family members. And then obviously the business is named after the whole family as a, as a total. Um, so I'd say that, that's definitely the proudest. Moment. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that, Stuart. I think that's, that's um, yeah, like it's not soppy at all. It's certainly worthy of, of a proudest moment and uh, one of the better ones I've heard. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Just coming back to to focusing on you then so we talked a lot about your yeah. products uh, where is the best place to follow you are you still active on tiktok or is there a, a better uh, way to to catch you tiktok's been neglected a bit to be fair um, <laughs> but, um i'd probably say linkedin is where i'm most active well I, i'm yep. definitely most active on linkedin i try and post something at least once a day on there i typically reply to messages and if this is one of the things and and, and i kind of feel guilty for even saying this if somebody messages me a sales message, I'll always read it. If I'm interested, I'll message them back. If I'm not interested, I delete it. Mm. Uh, and the main reason being is that about 80% of my business comes from LinkedIn, if not more. So if I'm going to messages to follow up on a sale, I don't want to have to sift through 30 sales messages to find somebody who wants to buy something off me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. which kind of makes sense. But then you get the message, did you get my previous message? And I'm like, I, I, I kind of deleted it. <laughs> um, so I'll delete that one too so apologies to anyone I've not responded to on that front but yeah LinkedIn LinkedIn is, is the best place um, to speak to me or, or reach out to me or follow me um, I do have a Facebook page I do have an Instagram page which again I, I, I utilise and I post on but not as often so you know if you go onto Facebook and, and you follow me on there you will see stuff if you follow me on, on Instagram you, again you will see stuff TikTok not as much I should really do that and i keep meaning to like i say i've got 100 videos on the time lapse stuff i keep meaning to put them on youtube um but it's a lengthy progress and i'm lazy so uh, <laughs> well you're taking care of business first aren't you so uh yeah, so, yeah. prioritizing <laughs> but um no thank you very much for that and um just just before we let you go and yeah, yeah. just want to say you know best of luck for the future and we look forward to following your progress um but if you could go back in time and speak to yourself or if somebody else is considering doing something similar or, or even like kind of following what it is they're passionate about. What's that one piece of advice you think you'd give them? Honestly, it would be purely down to, uh, there's two things, two rules, be nice, you know, um, live positively. And, and that's kind of, I think one of the main things I don't listen to the news. It's very, very rare that I know something that's happened in the world before somebody mm-hmm. else. I find the news very negative and very um, mm-hmm. off-putting. It puts you in a bad mental state. Yep. Uh, I had a woman ask me previously, and she said, what's your day like? And I said, I do all the business development in the morning because that way I can feel like I've sold something in the afternoon. It, it's just stay positive. Avoid negativity. If you've got some negative in your life, get rid of them or change it. You know, I deleted somebody very close to myself after sending me a, a stream of forwarded stupid messages. I got rid of them. 
purely for the fact that it's too negative and it jumbles up your life and it doesn't put, it puts your head in a bad place. Mm. So staying positive, being nice is the first one. Um, and then the second one is grow your network. You know, it doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter anything like that. You know, treat everybody with respect, be nice to them, go networking, speak up, be known, you know, that sort of stuff. Because the more people that know you, the more chance you've got of being successful. It's just a marketing technique. But but business networking, you know, getting on Zoom calls, you can do it all day long now. You know, the amount of um amount of networking events that are going on that's online, get yourself on them, talk to people, get people to know who you are. Um, you know, you don't even need to sell to them, just be a nice person so they remember you as an individual. So when you ring them back up, they know you by name. They know that I am Stuart Coopland. Mm. You know, I've got the whole leather guy thing going on. And some people say, Stuart Coopland, if they go, uh, go, it's the leather guy. And they go, oh, yeah, 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 I know you. <laughs> you know, um, but just, just that networking, being nice, be positive, and, and just do a lot of networking, grow your, grow your connections because you don't know who they know. You don't know how they can help you. You don't know when they're going to come back. Um, you know, I remember I was struggling with sales when I was in the IT industry. Um, and I spoke to a woman I haven't spoke to in probably six years. And she bought a phone system off me, mm. you know, purely because she knows me, she trusted me. Um, and, and she wanted to help me out. So just, you know, be nice to people and a lot of networking. Fantastic. I, I can only concur with some sound advice and uh, just leaves me to say thank you so much for being a guest on the show and uh, and we'll speak soon. Thank you for having me on my very first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Our pleasure. So I hope you'd agree that was such an epic story and huge thanks to Stuart for sharing it with us and being so open and honest and sharing the different tips, tricks and advice that he has to help you possibly on your way. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love for you to subscribe and to give us a rating in the Apple iTunes or the podcast player of your choice. And until next week, remember to follow Stuart's advice of being that good person and saying yes to that opportunity because you never know where it might lead. I hope this has helped you on your journey in finding a way to get work savvy. Until next time, take care.